Oh, the shape that will get. If you've let all the fans down. Can we not knock it? It's a fact. I am not playing mind games. I am talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladici, I would probably say I was more of a tactical genius. So I answer questions on anything. Uh, religious, <laughs> politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you, except for those two, have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you. Disgrace! And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Now, if you're in charge of a football club and you're asked to recommend who you think should be the manager... You're probably going to recommend yourself, as is the case with Ralph Ragnick, who is taking over at Manchester United this weekend. Welcome along to Team 33. End a call here with you up until about 10 o'clock this evening. Arthur O'Dea is in studio with me. The big news of the day, Arthur, Michael Carrick has left. Manchester United stepped down from his coaching role. Ralph Ragnick took his first press conference as Manchester United manager. And surprise, surprise, after six months, Ralph Ragnick can see himself taking over this job. <laughs> you have to back yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you have to back yourself. I do like that. It kind of ties in, I suppose, with that sort of narrative that the Man United, everything in the, you know, the hierarchy is so inept and everything like that and whatever and whatever. And you think, well, here's this good decision. Good, smart decision. Six months. Safe. Nice. Everything else. And then he pulls out this Trump card. <laughs> it's like, well, actually. Amazing. <laughs> it is, it is <laughs> extraordinary stuff. Really confident, you, you have to say. But yeah. as I say... I mean, you get the job for six months, you get moved up into a consultancy role. You, you're basically in charge of uh, who's going to be the next manager, Ralph. Oh, well, I, I, I recommend this guy called Ralph Ragnick. Yeah. He's, uh, he's done pretty well so far. Internal reviews, carrying out your own internal reviews. God almighty. It is, it's funny, isn't it? But I don't know, like maybe, like it's, I, Jonathan Wilson was actually on during the week uh, on OTBM and he's the first person I heard talking about it. The fact that he might not actually that the six month thing, I suppose while we assume sort of with all these things that well, of course he'll want it. That um his sort of take on it was that that's not really his sort of interest. It wouldn't that I think he was talking about his time at Schalke, mm. which was kind of the most high profile job say he'd had and that he kinda of hated it. That that kind of the, the constant scrutiny, always having to go in front of the press, everything like that, always having to front up for everything. So maybe maybe it will suit him. Maybe he doesn't I don't know, maybe he doesn't want to but it's Man United at the end of the day. Like I think he left that Schalke job eventually for like reasons of stress. And yeah. So I mean, the United job's not the job you want to be in if you're at <laughs> first stress. I actually put up a, a tweet when Solskjaer left, and the aging of the United shocking. manager. The only job where you age more than the Manchester United job is the U- U.S. presidency yeah. job. It's, <laughs> and it's only over a two and a half year period. Like Solskjaer went from the baby faced assassin to like old age pensioner in the space of two and a half years at the it club. Is. So it's an interesting one. I mean, I don't have any faith in the United board to plan it. And it seems like they, they it is not a master plan that they, you know, they knew Ralph Ragnick was going to come in and eventually want the job. It seems like they've fallen on this happy accident where Ralph Ragnick <laughs> just happened to apply for the job and take the interview, blow everyone out of the water. And now suddenly they have a manager who... Like, if if you're looking at what United want, what do United want? They, based on evidence, they want someone who's going to have United DNA in air quotes. Solskjaer had it, didn't have the managerial qualities. Jose Mourinho clearly did not have it. But they're trying to breed this culture that, you know, Alex Ferguson had. Inadvertently, they found it with Ralph Ragnick. But if you look at what he believes in, he believes in high-intensity, 
destroying teams, being the dominant side, and youth at the yeah. forefront of that. So they've almost fallen upon this person who has nothing to do with United, never played for them, but ultimately has all the beliefs that United want in their manager. And he has that kind of, well, again, we, we'll wait and see more, and I'm not going to pretend like I've been watching Ralph Ranić very carefully and everything, and how, but even how he carries himself in that thing this morning, it's it's kind of that sort of, for whatever it's worth, the kind of quiet confidence about him that he kind of, he doesn't really have anything that he's there trying to prove. I suppose he, maybe, and, and maybe from a personal point of view, it is, it should kind of be looked at that it's it's a pretty landmark moment for him as well. He's never really had a job of this stature. Nothing no. close, not not really. I know, like, it's just, so maybe he tries to test himself, but I do agree with you. I think that it kind of, yeah, it's like, you're, oh, this actually works. This this could be perfect. Yeah. Let's see. It's an interesting one. The, I suppose the important thing to note is that United's fixtures coming up, Crystal Palace, Norwich, Brentford, Brighton, Newcastle, Burnley, Wolves. I mean, tough games. Uh, they're 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 game. They're winnable games <laughs> for uh, a club like Manchester United. I do agree with the the stature of the club that you're talking about. There, it is his biggest job. Yeah. The it's also a completely different job to anything that he's ever done. If you look at the Salzburg role that he had as a director of football, the uh, Leipzig role the um, Hoffenheim role. Yeah. It was blank slates. Yeah, Small enough stature in clubs, but blank slates in that, okay, you build you build it and uh, we will we will eventually be successful over a long period of time. He is coming into a mess yeah. of a club, structurally and uh, as, a, as a team as well. I mean, I was, I was actually watching back a, a retro clip of Gary Neville on Sky Sports. It was one of his first years as a pundit and he had that analogy that United had in their squad they had a shepherd's pie uh, a spaghetti bolognese <laughs> and a chicken tikka masala here all individually quite good but if you mix them all together it's not a good dinner yeah. whereas I, I think if you want to bring that even forward now and say like Ralph Ragnick is coming into a club that has you know a chicken wings as the starter a chicken tikka masala as the main and then pavlova as the dessert <laughs> I mean, individually, the, you might sit down and have a nice meal, but you can tell the chef didn't put a much much thought into the the, th- the process of putting that menu together. It's kind of the same Man United, where they've got all these good players, and you know they're actually quite good. They've got a good squad, but the plan just doesn't make sense. So his job is to come in and maybe change the menu around a little bit. Yeah, just have to sort everything out because there's so many. There are there's so many individually promising parts. And it's just kind of, it's always kind of, it's very interesting, I suppose, what you, and, and the sort of comparative thing between uh, Tuchel at Chelsea. You're like, oh God, <laughs> this, is, this is such a team here. It was just here to wait and to be done, but just a more competent manager. Yeah, and the thing about the Tuchel thing was so funny because everyone was like, oh, how does Frank Lampard get that defence to work? <laughs> and then Tuchel came in within a week, he's like, oh yeah, I've got the solution here. <laughs> so you, you wonder like, what, what is Ragnick going to do? Because, I mean, Tuchel is inspired by Ragnick essentially yeah. as is Klopp um, like, he, he doesn't have the stature that they they have but he, he's almost he's known as the godfather of the modern f- German style of, of coaching so yeah. I mean these guys are afraid of his ability for a reason so I, th- I think it's going to be very interesting to see what has everybody been missing with this United team and maybe he'll have the solution maybe he won't Maybe, maybe we'll yeah. see. Maybe he will struggle to deal with the Ronaldo situation. Maybe there there will be intricacies within the dressing room that we don't know about that are that he will struggle to get a grasp of. But if it all goes the same way as Tuchel, then 
you know, United could be back, essentially. Yeah, I'd be quite optimistic about it. I don't I don't know why. I don't know why. I, I just feel that... Um, oh, it, it does. It has that feeling that everything's kind of there, thereabouts. There's a lot of good kind of bits that have been done. Like Varane. Like, I know he's not really... The injury and stuff set that back. But, like, that was such a... That was a very shrewd... Not shrewd. Like, it's kind of obvious in certain regards. Like, of course you go sign him. But the, the fact they did it. And Sancho. And all these kind of guys that are just like... What they just there's there's the makings of something there. And, and I don't know. Maybe if this guy... Maybe he'll do it. And if he can't, I, I really don't know what you do next, though. No. <laughs> like, that's really... I don't envy them there. That is the unending question that Manchester <laughs> like, United... I, I said the same after Jose Mourinho. Or yeah. when Jose Mourinho got the job, I was like, yeah, I don't know where United go if Jose oh. Mourinho was not a success. So after Ragnick, where do you go if it's, if it's not a success? If, I mean, it could be potch at the end of the season anyway, regardless of how yeah. Ragnick goes. We don't know he's actually going to appoint himself. No. But we have a fair idea he might recommend himself <laughs> at the end of the season. I know I would be recommending myself Fancy it. for one of the highest paid jobs in, in world football. But we shall wait and see. That was the breaking news of the day anyway. Michael Carrick leaves the club. Uh, you know, suggestions, you know, Billy Paul Scholes and Roy Keane might have been a bit harsh in this fella. I'm not buying that at all. I'm like, you know, Michael Carrick, you know, n- nice bloke. Seems like a nice guy. Did pretty good in his... In his <laughs> Three. He is. A, he actually leaves the club with the best managerial uh, stats okay. of any manager okay, in Manchester yeah. United history. But I mean, you know, he did his job for three games, and he's stepping aside. Fair play to him for stepping aside, I think. But I mean, was it? Is there any signs that he was good enough for this level? It's impossible to know. Coaching doesn't seem to be at the level. It wasn't. It wasn't just Solskjaer doing the coaching. Yeah. I mean, Kieran, Kieran McKenna was doing it. Michael Carrick was doing it. There are other people within the club that are doing it. So, I mean, the coaching didn't seem to be up to scratch so you're wondering is Ragnick going to coach the coaches as well or is he just going to bring in his own guys here I think um, I think you're spot on I think you'd have to be really I don't know what kind of person you'd have to be well put it this way if he's gone I suspect it wasn't made clear by Ragnick that he wanted him mm. if he wants him then you go well yeah sure I can, what could I, I can learn loads from you and I'll stay here and learn from you but like it was like indifference or outright hostility you got to leave it'd be so toxic but I I'm a bit with you. I just I don't know really what to make of. We've nothing. We we can't. There's nothing to prove. There's no, no evidence. There's, there's no evidence for anything. I don't yeah. know. You see, yeah, you can't categorically say Michael Carrick was not a good coach no. or he wasn't good enough for this level. But you also can't categorically categorically say that he was. And just because he was a nice guy does not mean that he was a good coach. <laughs> so I'm just not buying into that argument at all. I mean, sure he might have been a world class coach, but there's no evidence to prove that. So no. like you're you're going to lean towards the fact that he was part of two failed regimes within the club. And he was, I mean, with all due respect to him, he was handy. He was convenient. He was already there. So it's kind of, that would be, geez, that's fortunate. Mm. You stumbled right on him. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing. Across the the board, like, it's hard to know what that whole backroom setup. Like, I, surely, Ragnick will want his own people and surely, no more so. I don't know, it'd be very interesting to know, like, from, you're going in from a manager's perspective and we're talking about, it's kind of a similar sort of thing where you're going, well, you're going to have to impart your plan upon these group of players that aren't yours and you wonder is it a similar thing with coaches can you kind of get them to adapt to what you need to do because I presume everything like everything else there probably is a few people that he will keep you'd imagine because one of the biggest issues that David Moyes had was that he cleared the whole lot and brought in his men and that didn't work at all because you know at the end of the day, these are guys who are losing their jobs and like that that does have an effect in, in, in the personnel and the morale of the club so be interesting to see. Apparently, Ragnick is bringing in his own video analysis guy, and maybe a few others. And again, you're like I'm hearing this narrative that oh, maybe it's a bit harsh on the current guys. It's like, 
well, maybe this guy's just better. I mean, yeah. there are levels, and you're Manchester United. You want to be successful. You need the best people. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's never nice to see people lose their jobs, but like, better people get better jobs like all the time is. in every little worker life. It has to be the way if yeah. you want to be successful. It is. It can be cruel enough, I'm sure. Especially, like, maybe not for Michael Carrick. He's probably set regardless. Yeah. And he'll be fine. He's going back to the away end, apparently. He wants to. <laughs> his, his son was begging him to bring him into the away end of another United game. So. Off with him. <laughs> but that's literally where Michael Carrick came from. Him, him and Darren Fletcher walked from the away yeah. end of a Man United game sporting into uh, into board level jobs. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about. They, they essentially wanted to do what Ajax did with Edwin van der Sar and Mark Overmars, except that they did it with Darren Fletcher and Michael Carrick. And you're, maybe that's not a recipe for success. I remember like when I was younger as well, you know when you're playing, you're, you're playing football manager and you're like, you're trying to put a back room together and you're like, you don't even look at stats. You just look at the guys, oh, that guy has 40 caps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do want to bring in Raphael van der Vaart as my director of football. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's just, there's no real logic to it, but it's a good name. Yeah, it's a good guy to have in there yeah. and you know, you've got the United DNA. But good around the hotel. That is, that, that is the United stuff from the week and I mean, it's been one of the most hectic couple of days, maybe 10 days since Ralph Ragnick was first yeah. semi-appointed and I think the, the barrage of commentary and colour and everything that's been talked about has largely been down to the fact that United the one of the biggest clubs in the world and it was one of the messiest appointments yeah. you're likely to see at this level so hopefully it'll start to calm down at the club over the next couple of weeks later on the show I should say that we have Joey Durso from The Athletic coming on to talk about a new semi-new company that are sort of making waves in the fantasy football side of things in So Rare it's an NFT based game I, I have read as much as I possibly can about NFTs. I cannot for the life of me figure oh, out why people are pumping their money into it. It's impossible. I don't understand it. I've tried. I've tried every which way to read it, read around it. And even you can see in that, that, that article that uh, Joey Dorser wrote in The Athletic, like, he's clearly writing it with that in mind. There's a few times where he's like almost breaking that fourth wall saying, I know this is tough, but what about, look at it this way. And I cannot for the life of me really understand. I get the principle. I understand it. But... I don't see where it, how it, how it makes you money. I don't understand what I, it just it, the re, what's what's it for? Why are you doing it? Like it ah, it just it, yeah. I I'm really I'd love you look you you've spoken to the man. So just to sort of without going too deep into it, essentially what's so rare is a fantasy football game that you own the cards, you own the players. So it's it's sort of like uh, if you buy you know the the cards the old cards that you used to buy yeah. of baseball or football whatever it's a digital version of that it's just a jpeg really okay and uh, you buy it with cryptocurrency of course right. because it's online it's just, and then yeah. you play fantasy football so largely you're entering these tournaments against teams of a like a similar enough standard to yours and um there are rare cards or very rare cards that are okay. more, worth more money the 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 key issue here though is that People who have been following crypto and all these NFTs early on are early in the game. They have all the rare cards. Yeah. The second issue is that so rare have marketed themselves explicitly as a game and not an investment fund. Right. But surprise, surprise, there are several investment funds with way more money than the average person <laughs> who are, you know, putting their their money together and investing their money and. You know, they've got all the best cards that so they make all the more money. And they right. because they have, let's say they have a, rare, a super rare Ronaldo card, that's worth 250 grand. Right. They can sell that if they want. They make that money if they want, if they want to cash in. 
and because they've got all the rarer cards, the more expensive cards, they're all in the higher leagues, and of course the higher leagues earn you more money. Right. So if you're a regular player who's getting involved now and you have like 500 a grand to spend, you're, you have no no chance of competing. And what, when, when maybe this is getting a little bit too into the weeds on just this particular one, but in this game, when you say it's like fantasy football, yes. so... Is it like in the same way in terms of like fantasy Premier League when it's yeah. like literally yeah, well, it's week the, by week? Yeah, the the issue is that there's not you obviously need you know uh, to pay for yeah, yeah. player rights etc. Premier League clubs aren't involved in it. Okay. were involved for for a while. They're not involved anymore. But it is the same same principle. idea. So if you own Griezmann, depending on how he does, he gets okay. a certain amount of points. Right, and it, right. You're in tournaments then, so it, it's 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 all way beyond beyond my interpretation of it but essentially if you're a regular player and you're looking to make money off this and essentially that's what people are looking to do so rare say they're not yeah. but if you go on YouTube search their name it's all about how you can make money with so rare you have no chance essentially no chance because I was reading through his article and um, there was a bit I, I, I don't know the artist's name was it Beeble or something was the, the name used but that a piece of work had sold um so uh, as an NFT or for I don't know if you, as as or for whatever it was it had been sold in that in that way for the guts of like forty million or whatever right and that's fine I kind of understand that so someone's paid forty million, and that's fine the artwork but so you're telling me then that artwork was I think it's just a purely digital thing there's yeah, no physical thing it's like okay. a JPEG essentially but where so so if you they hypothetically okay so I suppose what could be happening here is the person that bought that is theoretically just buying it to hold on to it to sell it again mm-hmm. whatever they have no actual aesthetic interest or anything else in it but hypothetically if you did like what are you supposed to do like there's no what do you what do you do with it like so the card like is the card essentially just like numbers on a spreadsheet you don't actually have isn't it, like do you look at the card it's you, a, have, you have a physical copy like a JPEG copy okay it's a JPEG. Like that is right, literally so it's just, what it's it, what purely it is. digital. There's purely no digital, okay, yeah. okay, okay. And essentially, the way that it's um, now, this is I'm, I'm broadly speaking, the way that it's run is that a blockchain is the <laughs> the term that is yeah. used to define it. So think of that as a digital receipt. Okay. So okay. blockchain, if you once you buy an NFT, that's added to the block, which is in, right. in turn turned into a chain digitally, and you have ownership. So if somebody copies it, it's kind of like if if you printed out a, a Mona Lisa yeah. and put it up on the wall, that doesn't mean that's worth the same amount of the Mona of Lisa. Of course. Oh, okay, okay. So okay, only okay. that individual one that has the receipt of the blockchain is worth, quote unquote, worth the amount of money. But here's where it falls down. NFTs are only valuable as long as people believe they're valuable. It's the exact same as art at the like, right. except for art has been valuable for hundreds of years, maybe yeah. even over thousands. Yeah. NFTs are five years old. So it's a very, very new idea. Okay. And it's the same as sort of crypto. Crypto is only worth money when people believe it is worth money and when people buy in. And it's such a fluctuating market because it's so new. So as soon as people stop believing NFTs are yeah. worth money, all these cards that people have paid hundreds of thousands of euros and dollars for are worthless. So that's why it's such a dangerous game for a normal person to get involved with. If they're investing their money at thousands on cards, overnight those cards could be worthless. Yeah, Jesus. Or they okay. could, or it could be like crypto. It could yeah, be like yeah, Bitcoin. Yeah. They could be millionaires in ten years' time. Who? It's literally yeah. nobody knows. 
But that, so in essence, it's just kind of almost translating what we know in a physical here realm onto a digital thing. Exactly. So it's, the same to, as, it's the same as okay. money. Like it's, uh, if I hand you a five euro note, why is that worth five euros? Because everyone collectively everyone agrees. agrees. Yeah. So it's, exa- it's similar enough to that, except for its digital form. But the difference is, again, everyone agreed that, you know, the like money developed over hundreds of years from bartering to coins to eventually, and now is eventually online. So that's what crypto is now almost reinventing what yeah. we believe. So I don't have the bottle for it. I wish I did. I wish I knew. Per- I personally, I wish I got involved in Bitcoin 10 years ago, but uh, you, you know, know uh, yeah, I well. just didn't. So like this, <laughs> this is the way it goes. But that is coming up later on. Joey Durso will explain that much better than I will. Uh, he's from The Athletic. He's an investigative journalist. And you want to see his piece, it's on The Athletic. I'd highly recommend it. He explains it and he speaks to people much smarter than me to actually describe what uh, So Rare is. So that's coming up after the break. There was midweek football, Arthur, a Merseyside derby in which Liverpool, once again, like, I mean, is, is, it, a, is it surprising that they came out as victors of the Merseyside derby? Them, like. They were very good. Yeah. Like, very good at some points in that game. And I was semi-joking, but so the Merseyside derby, Everton, Liverpool, it's always a derby they're, yeah. because they're across the water. So, it, you know, by but just happenstance, they are a derby. They're not a rivalry anymore. I don't know. I think once they're in the same league, I think. Like, well, we'll take your own example. When Rangers were down in Scotch, whatever, League 2 or Division 2 or whatever it was called, mm. it, was still a, it was still a rivalry. Yeah, still a they, derby. I mean, okay, it might not have been. It might not have been competitive. Yeah. But like, it still mattered. I think it still matters. That. It still matters to the Everton fans. But I mean, <sighs> take it or leave it. They left it tw- after twenty minutes. Some of them. So, <laughs> some of them did. Yeah. yeah and, and again, I. Ju- oh no, it was four one and ended, didn't it? Four one. Sorry, yeah, yeah. I, I think I got the score wrong initially. But yeah, I, I, I said that you know they might as well leave after twenty minutes out at two 0 and beat the traffic when everyone else leaves at five 0 Yeah. That's how it was going. I, yeah, I like. I don't know. So, what's your like? Your point is what? Like that? It doesn't. It doesn't matter to who, to Liverpool fans or to Everton fans. I just don't think you can class it as a rivalry because it hasn't been. It's 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 not so much. So it's definitely a derby. It definitely means something. It's yeah. definitely got that historical reference behind it. But I mean, how many games have Everton won in yeah. the last twenty years? It God. it is. It hasn't been. It's it's sort of like when like I got a, a lot of stick for this, but I stand, stand by it. United United Arsenal is not a rivalry anymore. Neither are going for the title. Uh, so it could yeah. be a rivalry. Yeah, no, yeah. So if if one team is not competitive, neither for trophies nor in the actual games, then I just don't think you can class it as a rivalry. I don't think I don't ever. I I would be interested to know in my own lifetime how many times ever have been Liverpool. There it, was it, a. I wish I had the stat to hand now, but there was a stat last year where. It was pinned up, and it was like, it's alarmingly few. Like, yeah, like it's really. Everton, no, Everton did win a game. I think they won a game last season, and they've been decent at Goodison Park. It hasn't. It hasn't been all Liverpool victories. Yeah, but it has been majority Liverpool victories yeah. and very few Everton ones. I think Anfield's particularly poor hunting around for them. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. I remember that. There are things. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know, like it's kind of, but. I suppose there are very few, like, I suppose, in terms of rivalry, then how many actually are there in the Premier League? Very few. Yeah. Like, Liverpool-Man City's a rivalry for me. Yeah. Because they're the best two teams in the last decade. Ooh. That's a good one. 
the last day. So I went back till 2011. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I mean, if Chelsea are the only team that have won it except for them. Well, you know. Oh, well, yeah. You're counting that last season, aren't you? <laughs> like, why not? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it counts. You're not going to take Robin Van Persie's medal off him. No. Oh, well, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. That's, yeah. You've got a decent enough point there. Uh, just before we finish up, I was speaking in the back page on Thursday night um, oh. to Gary Cook and Aon Arirun. And it was essentially a conversation around, you know, football's belonging in Irish society and how over the last hundred years, you know, education systems run by the Catholic Church didn't exactly push the, no. the game of football and the the government who were no. essentially run by the same organization <laughs> did not exactly push the game and how the likes of Johnny Giles and Liam Brady and some of the greatest players of the, like of Irish football history were essentially shunned for playing football. But it, it one, of, one of the points that came up was the locations and where football is popular and it was very much, you know, inner city Dublin and then the reason it's called the Garrison game is because, you know, if you look at like Athlone, Sligo, Dragal, yeah. it was where the Garrisons were. Yeah. Uh, Sligo is very much a football town, Huge. which I think is very interesting because it's, it's right in the heartland of GAA country. Yeah, yeah. But it is, a, it's a football town first. So w- what was the, what was the attitude when you were growing up to football? Oh, huge! Like it, I'll put it this way to you: it like, and to be fair, like I think a lot of people in Sligo would agree. Like it, like it, primarily, it is just like it's it's just a place that's just fascinated with sport generally. So like you would you would be it would be wrong to say like that it's Gaelic football isn't huge. Gaelic football is massive there as well, but um, between sort of Gaelic football and soccer are way ahead in that regard. And then you have like a little bit of rugby, and Hurland's doing better and. There's actually good basketball as well. Anyway, but yeah, the point in terms of football, football is enormous. Like, it's huge in Sligo. Like, it, it still is. Like, I still have a lot of people from living at home and friends of mine, like, still playing junior football in Sligo. And, like, it's incredible. Like, a little bit of a vacuum on Twitter, like, when you're following all these similar people. But, like, it is still a very visible, viable thing on a weekend that you see all these results coming in from Sligo Leitrim League and everything. And, it like, people take it s- properly seriously. There's an awful... I remember, I was only talking about this when I was home, of home about two weeks ago and we were talking about this and obviously I, I grew up a Man United fan but um, I remember there used to be for a short while there was flights from Strand Hill Airport to Manchester and I can only imagine there was probably a fair bit of going back for other reasons but I can only imagine that was largely as well due to the fact that there were so many people regularly going over and back same with yourself in Donegal like people the amount of people who travel over and back to Celtic every weekend like yeah it's like or every second weekend, so, but um, it was enormous, and it's enormous still. And it's like like you very rarely walk through without seeing people wearing Liverpool United specifically. Like Liverpool's huge in Sligo Town as well, doesn't it? But um, it's great, it's fantastic. Like I, <laughs> you're kind of, and then you kind of factor in Sligo Rovers at the centre of all that, and like especially now when things in the last kind of year or two have kind of. I don't want to say turn. Like obviously, it's a lot better when teams are actually doing well, and it's a lot easier to kind of get on board with it. But the fact that Sligo Rovers is run as well as it is, and it's it's so you know it's it's like I know I think we talked about this before. Like it's a little bit like Bohemians without all the uh, self congratulation, <laughs> but it's a little bit. But it's just that Sligo Rovers is such a very essential thing to all that as well, and it's so central, and it's just. Um, 
there's a great there's very I, I find as well increasingly now when it's kind of talked about like there's a, all of that sort of any sort of bickering and like oh this is you know why you all that foreign game all that stuff a lot of that stuff seems to have gone a lot of, recently a lot of the more kind of modern thing is you'll you'll see Sligo Gaelic footballers talk about or tweet about Rovers the same way of, you know vice versa it's just it's very very wholesome at the moment it's very very positive when you go there yeah I always find it and maybe it comes with the success that Sligo were the anomaly of the western clubs in that they can attract Dublin players quite yeah, often yeah. Um, they did it under Paul Cook again I mean they were winning the league that year but this year as well they brought in a couple of boys and it's always the difficulty for like the likes of Finn Harps or Derry City who Derry City get the more northern yeah. element from Donegal, from Derry, from Louth, but very rarely the dubs, you know. Yeah. Whereas Sligo it does seem to be a thing where they're they're happy enough to go and live in Sligo for about a year. That's probably the nature of the town as well. And sure like it's a small thing and, and maybe this doesn't appeal at all, but like the showgrounds is right beside the train station. Yeah, the train station three hours and you're in Julie Lone three hours over three hours and you're in Connolly like it's it's very and the trains are like every two hours it's incredibly regular like it's it, like it's, it's it's interesting you make that point I hadn't really yeah. thought about that but that is um, I like the thought yeah I can imagine it's extremely difficult for a club like Finn Harps yeah. to actually attract players attract players like and then any good players they do they go to Derry the next year it's hard enough to get from Sligo to Finn Harps <laughs> like, listen you have me triggered not. with the whole train scenario yeah. you never bring up trains in the company of a Donegal man oh god almighty like would, have, would have been fine you know 40 years ago <laughs> <laughs> your man Andrews was at the other of all the train lines oh, good man good, good man Andrews. very smart decision yeah Arthur thanks very much no problem at all okay so after the break we have Joey Durso from The Athletic who is going to tell us all about the uh, NFT football fantasy game that's coming up after the break stay tuned Team 33 this is OTB Sports Radio. Okay, so we're turning to something a little bit different now. A lot of people listening will play Fantasy Premier League every week, but some have taken to a new platform called So Rare. The game is very similar to your run-of-the-mill fantasy football games, except for one key difference, NFTs. Joining me on the line to explain what So Rare is, is Joey Durso, an investigative journalist for The Athletic, who has taken a bit of a deep dive into what so rare is and why there could be some potential issues with it in the future. Joey, you're very welcome along. Thank you. So this is quite a complicated story and there are a lot of terms that we need to know when we're diving into it. The first will be NFTs. So this is something that has popped up quite a bit on social media over the last couple of months and over the last year or so, NFTs have become a bit of a commonplace. But for those who don't know what they are, could you explain what they are? Yeah, so NFT stands for non-fungible token. And what it is, is it's a digital way of proving scarcity. So if you have like a, tra- a football trading card, there's only 10 of them printed. Um, but NFT uses this blockchain technology to basically prove that it's scarce. So you can kind of prove that there's only 10 of these things or one of these things. And, um, you know, people like to believe that this could be the kind of future of, instead of having Panini stickers or cards, you'll have these non-fungible tokens um the kind of issue is this is becoming a very kind of hot market very speculative huge sums of money flying around and this game is basically um, using nfts as a sort of trading card so you'll have like a i don't know a mo salah card and there might be one of them a unique card and then there might be 10 of the rare cards so a sort of limited pool of these um which are then used in a fantasy football game and which you can actually win cash prizes from 
which means that the NFTs change hands for really huge sums of money, like some of them 300, 400,000 um, euros. So essentially what So Rare is, is fancy football in the same way that you would normally have, your, your, you pick your team, you have transfers, except you actually own the cards themselves. Yeah, I'd say it's like halfway between, if you think about like trade, like physical trading cards, it's halfway between a digital version of that and fantasy football. Okay. With a key difference that you get cash prizes, but you don't, yeah. So when you're talking about things like this, obviously a lot of things go on behind the scenes in football that we don't really hear about. But one of those things is sort of image rights and the rights of the players. Um, So how do so rare use the images of the players? Are they in partnership with the, the clubs or how do they sort of use that? Yeah. So to use the real likenesses of the, um, players they have to have an agreement with the club so La Liga I think got 200 and something clubs they've got La Liga in Spain the Bundesliga in Germany no Premier League teams interestingly Liverpool had it for a bit and then that's kind of ended um, but there's constantly new leagues you know Turkey Russia um, so, but, it's a, but for a lot of these clubs and leagues it's kind of free money right because you can give away your sort of intellectual property it doesn't cost you anything and people will pay you for that and people pay money for these things so for clubs it's like a bit of a you know cash cow yeah, and there are a lot of players that we've seen involved, especially in the La Liga. Antoine Griezmann is certainly one of them. Yeah. Jared Pique so is Gerard another Pique. one. People who were following his page, he was posting a selfie a day for about a year there, and then now suddenly they're being used as NFTs. Am I right? I'm not sure. I've not heard of that. What is that? So on his Instagram, if you go onto his page, it's just scrolls and scrolls of him taking a selfie of his face. And now he's okay. been using he's been using them as NFTs. Maybe it's not part of the so rare, but I, I believe that is the case anyway. But in, in terms of the, the cards themselves, so you mentioned that there are, are normal cards, there are rare cards, and there are super rare cards. So what would be the differences in those and what would be the price range you're looking at for those? Yeah, so the unique is like one of a kind. So like take Mo Salah, there'll be one. Well, then sorry, that's a bad example because Liverpool don't have to steal anymore. Take um Griezmann at Atletico Madrid. There'll be one unique Griezmann card this season, 10 super rare, 100 rare, and 1,000 limited. Um, and at the top, you know, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo uh, went for 290,000 euros. Another one went for 400,000 euros. Um, and it's just this very kind of speculative, hot market. Like, you know, are people really buying them because they, they like it? Like, you know, they think it'll be useful? Or are they buying it because they think in a month's time they can flip it for more money, you know? And it's like... And my the kind of issue which I tried to make clear in the article is like this stuff is saying it's like football cards or saying it's like fancy football, and actually behind it is this quite speculative um, financial. And you talk to people who are using it, and they're like, you know, these aren't these rich guys spending two hundred thousand. They're these kind of you know average guys who are putting in like a thousand or two thousand, mm-hmm. an amount that's kind of serious money for most people, but gets you on the kind of very early stages of this game. And that's I think where it's quite worrying because. If this whole thing were to go belly up, your big like crypto investors would probably like be fine. They've probably got their fingers in loads of pies. But some football fan who's seen it on Instagram and has put in like a couple of thousand um, might be pretty stunned. Yeah. So you mentioned crypto there. In in previous times, if we're taking this from the point of view that these are online uh, football cards, you would have walked into a shop and paid cash money and went went home and you had a physical uh, physical card to carry. So. 
online, it's a little bit different. They are using cryptocurrencies. So if somebody wants to get involved in this, do they first have to purchase some sort of crypto, be that Bitcoin or whatever else they want to do, yeah. and then sign up for Sorare? It's a cryptocurrency called Ethereum, which is, I guess, like the number two in the world after um, Bitcoin. And the cryptocurrency markets have gone crazy in the last six months or so. Like um, Ethereum has gone up just so much. Um, nothing to do with this company or anything. But it means that these people who kind of ha have been pushing around Ethereum, playing a game, have just got incredibly rich. Um, which is kind of a weird side effect of all this. Um, but, you know, we don't know that this stuff will go up forever. Uh, you know, and if it doesn't, you don't want to be left holding the bag, I guess. Yeah. So let's talk about the potential issues with this because there are there are several. The main ones popping up are sort of not so much the issues with people getting involved, but the way that SoRare markets itself. So they've been saying that they are explicitly not a gambling website. They're explicitly not an investment platform. But with crypto, with uh, all these different things online, largely unregulated so far. So you're, you're looking at potential uh, real life issues here for normal people, as you might say. Yeah, this is all sprung up so quickly that countries just aren't really ready for it. Countries, there's no rules in place. You know, it's not the same as normal gambling, so it has really come under gambling regulations. It's not the same as typical financial um, investment, so it doesn't fall under them, which basically means there's very little regulation whatsoever. So if you know this goes belly up, you know, if you invest in a company um, or if you gamble and then the gambling company goes bust, there's a sort of regulator overseeing that. But here, there's nothing. Mm -hmm. What about the investment uh, firms that you mentioned in your piece. So a regular person might invest um, a thousand pounds or 2000 pounds, maybe not even that much. Whereas so rare, they don't have any rules. They, they, they have a rule against creating multiple accounts under your name, but am I right in saying they don't have a rule against people funding their money together and sort of using this as a platform to invest upon? Yeah, so three of the biggest users um, team up in this quantitative hedge fund, they call it, called Blackpool. Uh, and they make millions of dollars in rewards in this sort of, you know, very financialized, the way they talk about it is like a sort of hedge fund, you know, investing, risk, assets, finance. And, um, you know, like if people want to get into that, this is, then it's not for me to sell them not to, but I think the way the platform is marketed through football is very different to this. Um, and they constantly say this isn't about financial investment. It's like, okay, well, these guys at the top who are getting millions of dollars in rewards, they're clearly treating it as finance. And one of those guys I found on a podcast, he was saying, oh, I basically think of So Rare as a high-state poker game. And it's like, you know, that is not the party line. <laughs> yeah, and I went on, did a quick search on YouTube as well this morning for So Rare, and there are countless videos showing you how to make money from playing yeah. So Rare. Yeah, and that's clearly how lots of people are treating it, you know, and, and lots of people have made money in this kind of crypto bull market recently, you know, lots of stuff has gone up very quickly, but it's very, you know, risky stuff and it could just go down tomorrow. And so just, I guess, just buyer beware, like, you know, I'm not telling people not to do this. All I'm just saying is be aware that it can go down as quickly as it can go up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what we're looking at here is a game that you can make money from, but it's pretty hard to make money from because yeah. these investment firms have pretty much all the markets sewn up already because they were in early. Is that right? 
Yeah, so the people with the most cards by far are people who are in this game early, people who started with, you know, are now millionaires because of this whole thing has just gone like crazy. But if you're getting in now, it's so much harder. Buying those cards involves spending lots of money because you weren't in this sort of wave of currency appreciation that has sort of made lots of people rich. Like, you're, you're kind of too late for that. And yeah, you might make money, but it's kind of, you'll need to stump up a lot up front and it's risky and it's hard. Mm. So but just anyway, to... This, this thing isn't about making money at all. It's just about, you know, collecting things. They say that, you know, I, I kind of represent to the company and lots of users, like, but what if the whole market collapses? Like, you know, and that they will say, oh, but you've still got an NFT. Um, like, which is quite baffling to me. It's like, you know, say you, have, you held a rare card of Pele that's worth like half a million pounds, which these things exist. And then it just like collapsed to nothing tomorrow. Like, oh, you've still got this piece of card. Well, it seems apparent to me that so much of the value is attached to the financial value of these things. Yeah. Yeah. So the card might be worth that amount because of so rare but if so rare goes down then the value yeah. of that carriage surely does as well yeah so the nft like exists outside of so rare it's off you know it's on the blockchain like you can trade it on a website it's like OpenSea. but you know i it's a very weird area like for example lots of people use this analogy of art they say you know the mona lisa what that's just what worth what other people you could you could copy and paste it couldn't you you could do a copy which looked identical um why wouldn't that be as much and it's because it's um unique because you can prove that it's the original and the same like nfts like okay i can copy and paste cristiano ronaldo right click and save for four hundred thousand, and i've got it but no because it's not um you know unique but the, i mean the, the, the problem i have with that analogy is that like for 500 years the mona lisa has been a huge deal like everyone knows what it is everyone knows what da vinci is like in 10 years time i highly doubt the mona lisa is going to be like worth nothing even though it might be volatile. With this, like, Cristiano Ronaldo NFTs, like, who knows? Like, this could be a bubble that pops and that thing will be worth zero. Or, I'm, you know, or like Bitcoin, like, five years ago, could just keep on going up and up and up. Who knows? Like, I'm not making predictions like that. But I just think it's entirely possible that this whole thing just goes pop and people lose mm -hmm. huge sums of money. Well, we saw a similar enough, not identical, but a, a similar enough startup company that got quite large and then, Suddenly, it doesn't exist anymore in Football Index, um, which was a similar enough idea where it was it was basically a stock market for football players. It was a new idea, and then got really big, and then suddenly it does just doesn't exist, and people lost a lot of money from that as well. So there are definite risks involved when you're investing your own money in an online company like this. So just to yeah. wrap it up, I, and yeah, I, of, I did a lot of reporting on that. You know, that was a regulated gambling company. And these companies, crypto companies, they're legally not gambling companies, so they're, they're, they're treated differently. Um, mm -hmm. But some, many of the risks are the same. Yeah. So where do we go from here then? Where do you see this leading down the road? Because I guess as gambling uh, becomes more of a taboo subject in football, we're seeing some uh, organizations try push gambling out of sponsorships and things like this, sort of the way it went with alcohol and cigarettes in the, the late 90s we're seeing a rise in crypto and uh, online currencies being pushed as the new sponsors and getting much more involved in football. Is this something that you can see potentially going the same way as gambling, getting as big and as much of a, a foothold within the, the game of football as, uh, as gambling yeah. has? Yeah, very much so. Um, yeah. And you're completely right about the gambling point. I mean, also in the UK, there's this gambling, gambling, gambling review is coming soon, which uh, a lot of people think will ban gambling shirt sponsorship entirely. So, the kind of trend of gambling sponsors in football is definitely on decline. 
and this stuff is filling the gap. But you, you only have to look at like, Italy, where they banned gambling spots a couple of years ago, and some of their crypto sponsors are just wild. I mean, you know, these sort of tokens that have no like physical address or names attached to them, sponsoring like Napoli or um, you know, some of these companies, I have no idea like who they are, where they are, who's behind them. But like, you know, is that really better than a kind of regulated gambling company, which like has an address and is listed on company's house and, you know, pays taxes somewhere? Like, you know, not to say that all these gambling companies are great, but like, at least they like tangibly exist. Whereas some of these crypto projects, not, not so rare, but some of these crypto projects popping up in Italian football are just like bonkers. Okay. Something to keep an eye on then. So, uh, yeah. Joey Durso, if people want to read your piece, they can get it on The Athletic, which I believe you, yeah. is available uh, at a, a shorter price now because of Black Friday or Cyber Monday. Yeah, there's a disc- there's always discounts of some kind. I'm not sure uh, exactly how much now. But yeah, if you go on my Twitter feed, Joey Durso or The Athletic, you'll be able to read it there. Well, I appreciate your time today, Joey. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right, so that's us done on this week's Team 33. Thanks as ever to you for listening. My thanks to Arthur D, who was on the show earlier on, and to Joey Durso from The Athletic. If you want to read that piece, you can get it on The Athletic if you have a subscription as well. I think they do a lot of deals as well. It's sort of like Revolut these days where you're getting notifications to sign up more often than not. So you will be able to find that wherever you get uh, all your athletic pieces. You will be able to get this podcast in the OTB Sports app or wherever you get your podcast as well. If you subscribe, you get notified every time a podcast goes live. But we will be back again in the same time, same place next week. But until then, Ewa Slangofoil, take away Johan.